Good morning. <laughs> My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in the book of James. And uh, we are in our 12th week through the book of James. Three months already we've been here. Next week we'll wrap up. And today we come uh, to James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 18. Now, as you read through this passage, one of the things you'll notice is that James, in many ways, seems to kind of jump around a little bit and uh, uh, covers a handful of different things. And honestly, about a week ago, uh, I've been studying the book of James for months now. And, you know, a few couple weeks ago, looking ahead to today, going, I don't know exactly what I'm going to teach that morning, exactly how I'm going to create this outline, what I'm going to go through. And then uh, this week happened. And um, many of you... Uh, you know if you're on our prayer chain. If you're not and you'd like to be and get prayer emails, you can just sign up with a, a Connect card in your bulletin, and we'll, we'll add you to that list. Um, this week, 4th of July, I had a great time with family. Had everybody over, grilled a bunch of wings, and hung out, and uh, tried to sleep through all the fireworks all week. And um, if your neighborhood's like mine, they've been, they've been loving our country all week long. It's been good. Um, but Wednesday morning, uh, I came into the office. I was meeting with somebody around 8 o'clock on uh, Wednesday morning. And about 9.15 or so, I got a call from Hannah. And she had taken Charlie down to Winona Lake. They were going to go walk the trails and uh, just get a day, get out of the house a little bit. Um, and she said, hey, I'm, I, can, I can barely see straight. I'm in all kinds of pain. Um, can you, what, what should I do? Now, what you don't know about the part of the story, or you didn't know, uh, Hannah's about six weeks pregnant, or was, and uh, uh, we had, I had found out about two weeks ago, two to three weeks ago, and um, uh, a few years ago when she was pregnant, uh, for the first time, um, 2014, that end of that summer, uh, same thing happened, and all kinds of pain on her left side. And uh, went into the emergency room, uh, found out that it was an ectopic pregnancy, a tubal pregnancy. And uh, if you don't know about that, um, I didn't know anything about it until then, so you don't need to feel bad. Um, but basically what happens, the egg is fertilized, and then instead of embedding in the uterus where it's supposed to, it never makes its way out of the tube, and it begins to grow there. And uh, the first time uh, in all their pain, we caught it, if it ruptures... Uh, basically, you have a pretty short amount of time to get emergency surgery or the mom will bleed to death internally. Um, that time, we had surgery, and uh, uh, we, were, we were okay, but you can imagine it's still a, a big loss, especially for us, and not knowing then, will we get pregnant again, by God's grace? During that same time, too, my dad had brain cancer. It was, it was all kinds of fun. Um, and... Uh, a couple years later, we had Charlie, so we were incredibly blessed by that, but we didn't know. I mean, she has one functioning tube now, and what are you going to do? And I had Charlie, and we were pretty excited, and Charlie's been a blast. We love him to death. If you haven't seen him, uh, come back in a couple weeks. If you see a, a, about a two-and-a-half-foot version of me running around <laughs> on stage, that's Charlie, just kind of short and stout. That's Charlie. Um, so anyway, she had all this pain on her left side, and called up to her doctor and, uh, you know, oh, it's probably kidney stone because you already had an ectopic there, so it wouldn't be there, surely. And uh, so they're treating it like a kidney stone. I got down there after she got into the emergency room at Parkview. And uh, any of you who are associated there, it was a great place, a good experience. They cared for her well. 
And then after being there for a couple hours, we found out that, uh, no, they think it's another ectopic. And uh, in fact, it was. And somehow the egg had traveled over into some of the, what was left of that other tube and went up in there and that's where it decided to park. I kind of joked he, was, he or she was active like their big brother, always on the move, made it all the way over there. And they got to smile a little bit through all this. And uh, long story short, this time it ruptured. And uh, so we were rushed by ambulance to uh, Columbia City for emergency surgery. Uh, Hannah passed out in the ambulance on the way there. And um, just ghost white. It was, uh, it was scary for a while. Um, got there. Uh, she came to on her way there. And but still pretty out of it. Uh, got her into surgery immediately. They were all waiting for us to show up. Had surgery and she's recovering well. But uh, this time, obviously, it's a lot harder recovery. A much bigger incision. Um, a lot more... Uh, just intense surgery, and uh, it'll, it, it, thankfully, by God's grace, our right tube is still good, so we're grateful for that, um, but it'll be two to three years before we should even consider uh, natural childbirth again, um, and so uh, by the, according to the doctor, because of the surgery, and if we even do, we'll wait and see, and what the Lord has for us, so, but uh, it's been a painful week. Um, you know, going from being really excited to just, where did that come from? And uh, I think for Hannah, she's home resting, and her mom is there with her. Um, for her, not knowing, um, I don't know that the emotional side of it's totally hit yet, but it will. And um, uh, I just can tell you from last time, it's, it's ugly. Many of you have been through similar things. And so I don't say that to say like, oh, wow, we got it so bad. So many of you have been through very very similar, even harder things. It sucks. Sorry if that offends you, but that's just the truth. <laughs> it does. It's really hard. Well, James has some encouragement for us today. And uh, I didn't expect that I would be the illustration, but there you go. And uh, I also didn't expect that I wouldn't have hardly any time to prepare. I've got about two hours into this message, so... Um, it'll either be short or it won't be sweet. We'll find out. I don't have any idea where we're going today. Oh, I do. But you know what I mean. So bear with me. I did the best as I could under the circumstances. And uh, we're just going to let God's word speak for itself. Amen. Would you pray with me? And uh, then uh, we're going to dive into the text and see what James has to say to us in our suffering. Father, thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us. Um, Lord, you are good, and uh, singing those things this morning is true, and we'll sing them again after the message, and uh, each of us, Lord, I don't want to draw too much attention to myself, we all have our own suffering, uh, things that are hard, things that don't make sense, um, yet you're constant through it, you're still in control, you're still good, help us to see that, to trust you through to the end, as James will say to us, until you're coming, even if it's that long that we have to wait and endure, Lord, because you're good. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning you would uh, help me to teach well, uh, teach me and teach through me. I pray for each one here too, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, work in our hearts in such a way that we would see, are we, are we really embracing our suffering or 
or maybe past suffering and are we letting you change us and make us more like Jesus or have we just become bitter? Because it's so easy in times of suffering and pain, Jesus, to be angry with you, upset with others and be bitter. And it can, I've seen it in people, it can literally ruin the rest of our lives. But Jesus, you offer a lot more. So I pray against the enemy that that wouldn't happen in my life, in our church. And uh, would you teach us today? In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5. Uh, let's just read through the passage together. Verses 17, or excuse me, <coughs> 7 through 18. And uh, I'm just going to take it. Let's take the first, uh, first handful of verses. I'll stop and then we'll, we'll unpack some things and we'll keep going. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah? All right, here we go. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Uh, James, as you know, he's been pretty harsh to us the last few weeks, hasn't he? I mean, he, he really went after some people last Sunday. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know if I said this last week, but generally speaking, um, and I don't even know who told me this or where I read it or whatever, but I, I think it's generally true that the Bible, as a, as a general rule, you can divide up the passages in the Bible, the teaching in the Bible, into uh, three primary categories. It's usually either addressing sin or it's addressing uh, suffering, or it's addressing stewardship. Stewardship being uh, what you do with your time, your talent, your money, all your stuff, your very life. So those three S's, sin, suffering, and stewardship. Well, last week we talked about stewardship, and today, now he's on to suffering. And he had been pretty harsh last week as it came to stewardship, and now today, James, I think, is back to being... Uh, Very pastoral, because look what he says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Very tender. Whenever he says brothers, he's he's speaking of those who are in the Lord. He says, therefore, when you see therefore, you ask yourself, what's it? Therefore. And previously, he just talked about their suffering, the people suffering under the, the hands of people who were incredibly wealthy and took advantage of them, uh, who were ungodly and wealthy. Um, He said, be patient, therefore, in light of that, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, he's writing to a group of Christians who are suffering and being persecuted in some big ways. They're suffering financially. They're suffering relationally. Uh, they're, they're probably suffering physically. Are you suffering in any of those? Those three categories kind of sum up all of our suffering in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Uh, financially, emotionally, physically, relationally. Maybe there's more. Uh, spiritually, you, you could be suffering in all kinds of ways. And you could be suffering in, in really big ways or in little small ways. It could be a physical ailment. It could be something that just never seems to go away. It could be an emotional scar. It could be the, the loss of a loved one or of a child even. It could be, you, you fill in the blank. How are you suffering? There's various kinds of suffering in our lives. And because ultimately, I'm not saying that you're suffering because you sinned, but I'm saying suffering, you might be, but suffering in a, in a whole is because of sin. The reason this world is messed up, the reason this world includes suffering is because we've turned from God. 
and everything got messed up. Now, sometimes our suffering is a direct result of our own sin, just dumb choices. Other times we have no control over our suffering. But the reality is if you trace it all the way, 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 way back, it's due to sin. And um, James is saying, be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? In your suffering, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. How long? Oh, come on, James. I thought it was going to be like, just, you know, give it another day or two. Call me in the morning. Take three of these. You'll be okay. Your suffering will be done. Be patient. Or you can be patient for a couple days. Then you can flip out. It's okay. If something doesn't get worked out by the weekend, then go ahead. Have, you know, throw your tantrum. No, he says until the coming of the Lord. Now, I think in James' case, I think he was anticipating uh, that Jesus' coming was very soon. And we should too, by the way. You're like, yeah, but it's been 2,000 years, Josh. Well, here's the deal. In light of Jesus' soon return, his for sure guaranteed return physically, bodily to this earth to rule and to reign, there's two ways in which you should live. One, you should live in light of the fact that you're planning as if it may not happen in your lifetime. So that, guess what? Your family is prepared after you're gone and the church continues to move on because of your generosity and your service after you're gone because the the church will be here after you're gone and after I'm gone, Lord willing. I sure hope so. And uh, so you should live long-term in mind. Live with a long vision. Play the long ball, right? But you should also be ready at any moment to let go of whatever it is you're doing if Jesus should return in the next five minutes. So you got to think long and plan long. Don't be foolish. But at the same time, hold on to what you have loosely because it might be gone tomorrow. And you've experienced that with some things, that it could just disappear like that when you don't expect. And uh, James says, until the coming of the Lord, whether it's now or a thousand years from now, Be patient. That's a long time to be patient in suffering, isn't it? Look what else he says. Oh, he gives us an illustration. He's a good pastor. He's always giving us illustrations. Look at the end of verse 7. He says, see how the farmer waits. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He's being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, uh, farmers, guess what James didn't have in his day? Big pivots and irrigation. So what did they have to do in terms of rain? They had to wait for it. And how much control did they have over it? Zippo. You just had to wait. Maybe it'll rain today. If not today, maybe tomorrow. And not only wait for the rain, but then wait for the crop to finally grow. And, you know, come up through and then wait to see, are we going to get more rain? And uh, is it, is it going to produce fruit? And, and James says here they had to wait for the early rains, which would have been, in this case, in the fall, and the latter rains, which would have been in the spring, uh, both which were essential for the crop to produce a harvest. And they had no control over it. You just had to wait. James gives us that type of illustration for our suffering. You have no control over it. Some of your suffering, you have, there's nothing you can do about it. 
All you can do is wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on him to provide. James says, strength will arise, right? As we wait upon who? The Lord. Be like the farmer, James says. When you're suffering, be patient. Now, I think there's some different ways we should be patient. First is with God. First is with God. James is, he's talking about this. He says, be patient on the Lord, waiting until his coming. He says it again in verse 8. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says it again in the end of verse 9. The judge is standing at the door. Be patient with God. Now, that doesn't mean he can't take your questions and he can't take some emotion from you. But be patient. Wait on him. Be patient. The other thing, like the farmer, uh, be patient with the process. Be patient with the process that you don't have much control over. Sometimes God is doing something in my suffering. He's doing something in your suffering, through your suffering. He's not going to waste it. And what I've found, I don't know if you found this, but is as I run from suffering, I can expect more because I'm not letting God do what he wanted to do in me. You know, in James chapter 1, the, very, uh, the second week of our series, we saw in verse 4, James says, Therefore, let steadfastness have its full effect. If I run from my suffering, if I run from my trial, then that suffering, that, that, uh, that trial uh, doesn't have the time it needs to work in me and on my heart. And the Lord uh, isn't going to quit working on me. He's just going to say, okay, we'll do it later. <laughs> You'll do it later. And oftentimes, if you wait till later, what is there more of? More suffering than there probably would have been before. Because our hearts get harder and there's more for the Lord to do to soften us and to change us and to allow it in our lives. So be patient with the process. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Now, don't be masochistic about it. I'm not saying that, right? But embrace it and trust the Lord. And then look at verse 9. There's another way we should be patient, and that's with each other. It's curious to me that James throws this in there. Do not grumble against one another brothers. In other words, in your suffering, in your hardship, in your soured plans, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's coming soon. I don't, one of the things that, that suffering tends to bring stress, doesn't it? And stress tends to bring in our sinfulness irritability with one another. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not trusting the Lord through my suffering and being patient with him and trusting his process on my heart, I tend to grumble against other people, especially if they're the ones who caused my suffering. You've never had that, have you? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't grumble with one another. Don't grumble against one another because if you do, you yourself will be judged. James continues to pick up on themes he's already told us. He, he said at the end of chapter 2, I believe, uh, the, the way in which you judge is the way in which you will be judged. The mercy you show to others is the mercy that will be shown to you. I think it's 2 verse 13. Uh, so don't be patient with one another. Now, uh, the next thing he tells us is when you're suffering, be patient and remain steadfast, trusting the Lord. 
Remain steadfast. Now, if you have a King James Bible, the word, when I say steadfast, it's going to say patience. But I'll talk about that in a moment, that actually it's a different word in the Greek, and it really should be translated steadfast or persevere or, or thing, something like that. But here's, here's what he says in verse 10. He gives us another illustration. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, what do you know about the prophets? You know what happened to them? It's not a lot of fun. It's not a happy ending. Well, it's a happy ending in the end of time for the prophets, but not on this earth. Look at Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 52. Uh, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So imagine you're a prophet. God shows you something. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Would you agree? All agree? That'd be awesome. God shows me something. <laughs> a couple of you going like this. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be cool or not. Because what happens is when you announce it, guess what? People often, I can tell you from experience, even up here, prophesying God's word or proclaiming God's word in, in that sense, proclamation, prophecy of his word. People don't like it when the truth goes against their heart. Uh, like last week in stewardship, when the truth about what I should do with my stuff and with my money goes against what my heart wants, I don't, I don't like it. And ultimately, when they would speak in the name of the Lord, what happened to them is they were persecuted. And many were even killed. Some, who, who it says here in Acts chapter 7, were announcing the coming of Jesus, got stoned to death. I got good news. The Messiah's coming. Pop! Yeah, awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. I'm glad I signed up for this job. Right? That's the prophets. But, but look what... Uh, look what James says. He says, look at the prophets. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They were patient in their suffering. Because each of them, even after they were persecuted for proclaiming what was true and what was right, they got back up, dusted themselves off, said, thus saith the Lord. And when they got rocks thrown at them again, they got back up, dusted themselves off, and said, thus saith the Lord. They were patient in their suffering. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel. They remained steadfast. And what James tells us is, verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. James 1 verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now James gives us another illustration. He says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it looks like Job, but his name is actually Job. I thought as a middle school kid for a long time, his name was Job. I thought, man, that's a terrible name. And he said, no, it's not Job, it's Job. I'm like, I don't know if that's much better. Job or Job? Sorry, if your name is Job, that was really mean. As a middle school kid, um, I hope there's no Jobs here today. I'm going to be suffering some more. Um, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. Do you know about Job? Job, uh, if you you turn back, if you would look at the first uh, couple chapters of the book of Job... um, 
He was an incredibly righteous man. He had incredible, incredible wealth. You read in the first, I think, eight verses even of the book. One of the wealthiest people on the planet at the time. He had a beautiful family. He had everything you could ever want. And it says in verse 8 that uh, the Lord says to the enemy, to Satan, he says, Have you considered Job, my servant? Uh, There's no one who's more faithful, who's righteous like he is. He was godly. He was wealthy. He had it all going on. Perfect family. And what happens is uh, Satan comes to the Lord, and I don't understand exactly how this happens, but but he, he goes to the Lord and he says, you know, the only reason Job is righteous and, um, and a good man is because you give him everything. You've spoiled him rotten. Why, why wouldn't he love you? Why wouldn't he bless your name? Like, anybody would do that if God was good to them, if you were that good to them. And the Lord's like, okay. Over the course of a couple interactions, he basically says, you know what, you can go and you can do uh, anything you want to any of Job's things, but um, you can't take his life. You need to to let him remain. And I'm I'm skimming over the story. Many of you know it. But a long story short, uh, at one point, Job is standing there and one of his servants runs in and he's like, "Uh, there was a a disaster and all the cattle are gone. Another one comes in. There was another disaster. As he was still speaking, it says, and uh, uh, (laughs) all the crops are gone. Another one come in. There was a disaster and all your children are dead. And Job tears his clothes. And his wife, guys, if you're looking for a wife, this is not the one, says, curse God and die. After, after, after days and weeks of this, she's like, what are you doing trusting him? Why in the world would you still trust him after all these terrible things have happened to you? Curse him and die. And you know what Job says? He says in chapter 2, verse 10, how is it that I can accept uh, good from the Lord, but not also the bad? How is it that um, I can accept the good but not the bad? If he's really God, if he's really in control, I have to take it all. And he remained faithful in all of this. Over and over it says, in, in this he did not sin. And, and uh, James is telling us here, he says, uh, consider Job. You've heard of his steadfastness. He lost everything. He was, he was the first country song. It all went away for Job. Yet he remained faithful to the Lord, didn't he? He remained faithful. In it, he didn't sin. Whatever suffering came, and then when it was multiplied, he was faithful. And in him, he says, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, what you find out if you would fast forward to Job chapter 42 is that the Lord blessed Job and gave everything back to him and more. Now, it didn't happen until the end. But you know what Job says in the middle, in chapter 23, verse 10? He says, you know what? Uh, When God has tried me, I shall come out as gold. It's a fantastic verse to memorize. Stick on your mirror when you're suffering. Job 23, verse 10. And when he has tried me, I will come out as gold. But the thing is, you have to remain steadfast in the trial, like Job did. 
for gold to be purified, it has to face the crucible. It has to be heated up. The, the, everything has to be melted off, right? It has to be made pure. It doesn't just happen sitting there running away. It, it has to sit in it. Remain steadfast. The Lord's good, trusting the Lord through it all. That's what Job did. And James tells us, consider Job. And by the way, because of that, then there's reward in the end. See, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We've talked about this already, but there is reward in the end if we would trust him. And there's a saying, you've heard me say it before, but I believe it with all my heart. And it really is true that oftentimes I've experienced it. I don't see God's leading through the windshield. I see it in the rearview mirror. I look back and I see, oh, wow, God's hand was in that. Because if that hadn't happened, all these other things wouldn't have happened. If he hadn't allowed that suffering, um, I would never have become who I am today. You, you often don't see God's leading clearly through the windshield. You see it in the rearview mirror. Or I think I said it different on the answer, right? You often see God's leading in the rearview mirror, not through the windshield. In the moment, sometimes it's like, what in the world is going on? I had those moments this week. But as I look back at the ways God has been faithful and he's brought me through suffering and he's brought me through pain, the suffering I'm experiencing now and Hannah's experiencing now, the loss of her child, and then, and, and honestly, just th- this last year has been a year of, of a lot of heartache and suffering for us. Um, some that you know about, some you'll never know about. Um, there's been some tough days the last nine to ten months. And uh, it's made me question, do I, do I want to be a pastor? Do I want to do this? Do I? And then you read a verse like this. Hey, consider the steadfastness of Job. Stay in it. Don't quit. When he's tried you, you'll come out as gold. Amen? And the only reason I stay in it is because when I look in the rearview mirror, I see all the ways God has been faithful. And I go, you know what? Because of his faithfulness, then I can trust him to be faithful tomorrow. Even though today I don't get it. Remain steadfast, trusting the Lord. Then in verse 12, um, kind of a random thing it seems like that James throws in here. But above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. I don't think he's talking about foul language here, which that would be a good, good advice too. But he's not talking about that here. He's talking about making an oath. Um, see, he says either by heaven or, or by earth or by any other oath. In other words, making an oath to validate your truthfulness. Now, I don't think he's speaking about, like if you go into a court of law and you've got to testify and you've got to swear an oath. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's saying, uh, are you the type of person who over and over you say, no, 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 trust me, seriously, seriously, trust me this time. I, I swear, I swear, this is how it's going to happen. This time it's, it, it is, I, I, trust me, trust me. I, I, you know, and you're, you swear by God and you swear by your kids and you swear, oh, I swear on the life of my mother and all these different things. And James is like, uh, he's actually echoing his older brother here who said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's like, you shouldn't, you, your, your character should be such that uh, you shouldn't have to always... Uh, make these oaths. You should just be able to say it and your word should be your bond. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you don't fall under condemnation. 
you, you shouldn't be double-minded or double-tongued. And I think in, in some ways, I think part of the reason James gets here is this is an out, outward effect. Me being somebody who is, is full of uh, greater character and greater integrity is when I've sat in the crucible and I've let the Lord uh, work on me through my suffering and I've let my suffering, that steadfastness, have its full effect. Uh, there, there's more we could go into that. That could be its own sermon, but I'm going to keep going with James thinking here as he gets to verse 13 because then he says, uh, is, is any of you suffering? See, so far he said, in, when you are suffering, uh, be patient, remain steadfast, trusting the Lord. And now he's going to say, and pray. And pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Uh, your translation might say, is anyone among you in trouble? Or is he troubled? Facing trouble. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That first part of verse 13, if any, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It reminds me of, of, of Peter's words. Where he says, uh, whatever it is, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He's also writing to a group of Christians who are suffering. Whatever it is you're facing, he cares. He hears. He knows. Now, he may not pull you out of that suffering because he may have something greater in mind for you by leaving you in it. But he knows and he cares. So pray if you're suffering. In other words, you know, you know what prayer is? You don't have to have like all the right language. You know, you don't have to have all your these and thous down. You don't have to like not stutter. Uh, praying is just talking to God. And, and Jesus says, and, and it says over and over in the New Testament, that those who have trusted him have become his friends. And so we can pray to him, we can talk to him like we would a friend. Just talk to him. Lord, I can't tell you how many times over and over this week, just while I'm driving, whatever else, I don't get it. This is hard. Why'd you let this happen? What are you doing? Is there sin in my life that's caused this to happen? What's going on? The whole gamut. Just talking to him. When, is anyone among you suffering? James says, pray. Let him pray. And then the, the other one, though, that's easy to pray when we're suffering, isn't it? It's easy to just be like, God, where are you? Well, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's really hard because you don't know the words even to say. Thankfully, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. If you're a follower of Jesus. But I think harder than praying and suffering sometimes is praying when things are going good. Is anyone cheerful, he says? Well, then let him sing praise. Are you cheerful? Sing praise. Encourage maybe those who are suffering. It's, it's, it's God's grace to you that you're cheerful. It's God's grace that things are going well. Praise him for it. Don't take the credit yourself. Praise him, James says. Then verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this is a passage, this verse anyway, is one that uh, is, is kind of tricky um, and has had some weird interpretations over the years. Have you ever read this verse and you're like, what's he talking about? Anoint him with oil. 
I, I do that with my bread at Olive Garden, but I didn't know that was biblical. Like, what does this mean? What's this about? Well, there's, there's a couple things. First, he says, uh, let him call for the elders. That's the leaders, the pastors, the overseers of the church. And let them pray over him if he's sick. Let them pray over him is the main clause. And then the subordinate clause, the one that describes what they're doing while they're praying, is that next piece, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. They're to be anointing him with oil while they're praying for him. But what is this anointing with oil? I've I've never, the tradition I grew up in, this was never a part of of the practice I grew up in. And so uh, what I've learned is there's basically three different um, ideas in mind here, ways to interpret this. And this idea of anointing with oil in prayer only comes up one other time in the, in the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament, but only one other time in, in the book of Mark in the New Testament. And he doesn't explain it either. He just glosses over it like everybody's supposed to know what he's talking about. So it's not real helpful. But there's, there's kind of three options that people have come down on. The first one is this idea of a sacramental anointing. And this is what uh, the Roman Catholic Church would teach. There, there was this thing, formerly it was called extreme unction. It sounds kind of cool. Extreme unction. They've, they've since now called it uh, uh, the, the sacrament of the anointing, which, okay, but why? Well, in their idea, it's a sacrament. They have seven sacraments, and it's a way that God pours out his grace. The only problem with that is the way that the Bible seems to teach that God pours out his grace is through Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. His saving grace, that is. And that's it. So these other ideas that that, that's a way that God pours out his saving grace to save your soul through anointing, it's not really in the Bible anywhere. Now the next idea, and one that that many uh, have taught, is that it was... uh, Olive oil is what they would have been anointing with. And olive oil, it can be used in some medicinal ways. Did you know that? Uh, oil can be used in, in many medicinal ways. And so the idea here is that uh, they're praying and they're also bringing medicine. They're, they're praying for you and they're saying, uh, take your scripts. <laughs> Don't ignore God. And that's, by the way, really good advice because all of that is a gift of the Lord. It's it's by his grace that, that we have medicine and have those things. But I don't think that's the idea here because uh, any other time where it talks about anointing in the Bible, it never really, it, anywhere in the Old Testament, the New Testament, other verse I told you is a little bit fuzzy, uh, but it, it's never in a medicinal way that oil is used in anointing. Um, instead, I think this might be the best way to understand it. Uh, as sanctifying. In the Old Testament, there were prophets, priests, and kings, right? And before any of them would take office, what would happen with them? Often they would be prayed over and anointed with oil. And this anointing them with oil, the idea was that they're being set apart for a specific service to the Lord, for a specific office before the Lord, set apart to be used by him in a unique and specific way. And I think, I'm not going to die for this one, but I think that's what James is referring to here when he says, pray over them, anointing them with oil when they're sick. That it's this idea of, we're, we're praying for you, we're anointing with you with oil, and this physical manifestation of saying, Lord, we're setting them apart for you, 
for you to give special attention to them, for you to bring healing in a special way to them. There's nothing uh, uh, magical or, or supernatural about the oil itself. It's simply an outward expression of, Lord, they're being set apart for you. Would you please heal them in a unique and special way? I've had people ask me to anoint them with oil and pray for them. And, and that's the way in which I do that. I pray, you know, rub a little on them, report whatever they want to do. And it's just, it's, it's an outward expression of, Lord, they're yours. Would you do a special work in their life? Would you bring healing to them? I think that's the idea. That's the way I understand it. I could be wrong. But that's how I understand it. In any case, though, James is saying, when you're suffering, uh, if you're cheerful, if you're sick, pray. Or look at verse 15, even I think when uh, you're sinful. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, sometimes our suffering, I think, is due to sin. It's a consequence of sin in our life. Um, not always, sometimes. Maybe sometimes more than we want to admit. And uh, part of the healing we need to receive from the Lord in prayer is confessing our sins and being healed. And, and sometimes that's confessing your sins to one another. It says in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Um, But the Lord uh, is committed to saving the one who's sick, the one even who is in sin, and forgiving them. Have you sinned? The answer is yes, by the way. Yeah, you have. Um, And you need Jesus Christ. You need him to save you. If you would confess those sins to him and confess your need for a savior, he's quick to forgive you. Or there will be great suffering to come for you. See, the prayer then, he goes on in the end of verse 16. Did you, did you know the verses in your Bible came about um, like in the 16th, 17th century, something like that? I get the dates confused, but it's, it's only the last couple hundred years. And so I think verse 17 ought to start in the middle of verse 16. I think it ought to start, uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. See, another good reason to pray is because there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. The Lord hears the prayers of his people and he answers them. And to have someone pray for you is a good thing. That's why um, I just kind of laid it all out on the prayer chain this week of what was going on with Hannah. Because, and, and I have no doubt that some of those prayers were answered. She made it to the hospital. She came to in the ambulance. She's sitting at home right now, breathing and alive and well. Sore, but well. Your prayers are answered. My prayers are answered. Could have ended a lot differently. And he gives us another illustration, a final illustration, of of how the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, you, you might be reading that and you go, a righteous person? Oh, man. And then James says, like Elijah. Like, oh, I'm really, I know I'm not righteous, and I know I'm not like Elijah. You know about Elijah, right? He's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Incredibly righteous before the Lord, passionate for the Lord. Like, I'm not like him at all. Well, 
Look what he says about Elijah, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The King James says he's a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, what he's saying is, Elijah puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like you do. That's how he did it. Well, I guess he did because he had a robe. But it was one leg at a time, right? He's just, he's, he's, he's a man. He's human. He's sinful. But by God's grace, he's been declared righteous. He's a righteous person who's living out that truth in his life, following the Lord. And when he prayed, man, things happened. You know, if you've trusted Jesus Christ in God's sight, you are a righteous person. Would you live like it? That's who you are. And, and, and someone who, who is and who lives like it, listen, their, their prayer is incredibly powerful, James says. See, Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. I'll give you the long and short of the story. In Deuteronomy, the Lord said, if my people turn from me, if they continue to worship worship, uh, Baal, then uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to dry up the heavens and there's going to be a drought and a famine until they repent. And so you get to King, 1 Kings chapter 16, 17, and God's people have totally turned from him. And uh, Ahab is king, and in his wickedness, they've turned from the Lord, they've worshipped Baal, and uh, the, the skies have dried up. And uh, in fact, uh, Elijah comes, and he says in chapter 17, verse 1, it's not going to rain again for three years, three and a half years until, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then it's going to rain. This was after six months of drought. He said, it's not going to rain for another three years. And for three years and six months, so six months before and the three years after, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again after there was repentance and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And if you read the account, I think it's in First Kings chapter 18, Elijah had his head down, and he was praying, his head between his legs, and he's like, go look, see if you see anything. I've been praying, go look now. See, and it's like, oh, they kept, you know, I see a cloud. There's a cloud. We haven't seen a cloud in three and a half years. Yes. And then there was a downpour, and the Lord opened up the heavens. That James is telling us, Elijah, before you think he was some magical person or just special in some unique way that you're not, he had a nature just like yours. He trusted the Lord in his suffering, which he suffered in some big ways. He was patient. He was steadfast. He trusted the Lord and he prayed. And when he prayed, he saw God move and he saw God work. Loved ones, I, I don't know what you're suffering with this week or this month or this year. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be relational, uh, it might be mental, it might fill in the blank, I don't know. It might be big, it might be small. But you need to know that the Lord has not been caught off guard by your suffering. He's still good. And his desire for you, according to James, Jesus' little brother, if you needed a more direct source, um, is to be patient in your suffering. Let it have its full effect. Remain steadfast. Don't, Don't quit on the Lord. He hasn't quit on you. Trust him. And through all of it, pray. Talk to him. Talk to him about it.
Amen? That's all I got. Let me pray. We're going to sing, take our offering, and call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus and for your grace to us through him. Um, Jesus, you know what it's like to suffer. If there's anybody, uh, you do. You know what it's like to go from uh, perfection uh, in heaven uh, without sin, nothing wrong, every day is perfect, to uh, suffering on the cross for sins you never committed. Being ridiculed, beaten, your life even taken. And Jesus, you did it because you loved us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you remain steadfast. You remain patient in your suffering. Help me to do the same. Help each of us to do the same. Lord, you know each one in their situation, in their heart, and whatever it is. Would you help them to wait on you and be patient, to trust you through it? Father, I pray for those who've, who've never trusted you to begin with, who aren't even Christians who hear this. Would you give them courage to trust you and to wait and then to see your goodness and turn in saving faith to Jesus and become a Christian? Father, you're so good. Help us believe it and remember it in our suffering. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.